0: The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Nigel Finch. And joining me from Dubai is Paul Roy to Paul's chairman of the Reva Group and CEO and founder of Galaxy Racer Esports. Now, MSM Corporation Limited is listed under the ticket code MSM on ASX, and it's a stock worth watching because of its exposure to the massive esports market. And much of this exposure is through its strategic partnership with Paul Roy's business. So it's my pleasure to introduce a legend in esports and that's Paul Roy, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks Nigel,
0: happy to be here. Great, Paul, can you give us a very brief overview of the relationship with the listed company, MSM and your group of businesses?
1: Sure, so uh, we have two segments to our business. The one side of it is the Reva group and the Reva group has been in uh, entertainment and gaming for over 20 years. And the other side of the business is Galaxy Racer Esports, a venture that I started about a year and a half ago. So MSM is an investor in one of our companies called Reva Technology and Entertainment. And through Reva Technology and Entertainment, uh, we own a stake in a company called Firefly Games, where we produce uh, mobile games based on well-known Hollywood IP. We've got a game out right now called The Terminator Dark Fate, and we've also got a few other licenses in the pipeline. Uh, that we'll be announcing over the next uh, year, year and a half. Uh, The second relationship that MSM has is uh, RTE, which is Reverb Technology and Entertainment, has a licensing agreement with MSM to take the original platform that they had developed and adapted for eSports and eSports content. And given that Galaxy Racer is uh, very heavily involved in the uh, eSports segment, the management of that platform has been uh, handed over to Galaxy Racer. So moving forward, we, Galaxy Racer will be overlooking the development and the uh, deployment of the platform globally.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this eSports is uh, very exciting stuff, Paul. So before we get uh, you know, too far into it, I just want to go back to basics and, and just help uh, explain to our audience about eSports. When were they developed? How long have you been active in the sector? And what is an eSport?
1: Right, so eSports is competitive gaming, right? And uh, although it's become really popular now in the last five or six years, uh, what most people don't know is eSports has been uh, around as long as gaming has. Uh, I think when the first ever games like Space Invaders and all came out, there was little Space Invaders championships being held. And uh, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, 1980s movies, but there was a famous, uh, fairly well-known Fred Savage movie called uh, The Wizard. Did you watch it? It was a 1989 movie. And
0: I, I wasn't and, born then, Paul, you know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. but, the, but that particular movie, uh, and you know, this is just on the back of uh, Fred Savage breaking out after the Wonder Years, and the, the entire premise of this movie was him and his little stepbrother uh, trying to go to Los Angeles to take part in a big video gaming competition to win $50,000. So even back then, I'm talking in 1989, the whole concept of large video game tournaments paying out large amounts of cash uh, what was already well established uh, unfortunately after that over the years in the 1990s and the early 2000s uh, the the competitive gaming scene became pretty amateur driven but in the last few years with uh, more and more uh, streaming content being uh, being made more relevant and people consuming more and more content uh, they've started to accept competitive play and i think it's just been in the last 7 to 8 years that it's just blown up and specifically in the last few years is is when it's uh it, it's it's really gone into stratospheric heights uh it's got to the level now where the total e- uh, esports viewership audience has exceeded the nfl and just just to put it in perspective uh you know in, Amer- in north america the biggest event that they have is a super bowl and last year the league of legends world championship finals actually pulled in more viewership than the super bowl event so which just- mm-hmm. is Pretty, pretty incredible from a sport that was pretty unheard of a few years ago.
0: Yeah. And Paul, you've been in this sector for some time, right? You're, um, you're, you're an earlier, early entrant into this space.
1: Uh, well, I've been in gaming for over 21 years, uh, I actually set up the first game development company in the Middle East over 21 years ago and produced the first ever title from here. So I've been in uh, gaming and entertainment for a very, very long time. Uh, esports, we got slightly later into. Uh, I'd say we really got heavily involved, and Galaxy Racer started just over a year ago. Uh, but what we were able to lean on is uh, all my relationships in the gaming industry, and you know all the uh, contacts that we built over the years. So we've been able to do in a year what most esports organizations take four or five years to do to to scale to scale up.
0: Mm. So CNN um, has reported. That the global eSports industry is around one billion in revenue and, and an audience of almost 500 million viewers. So what what's this revenue made up of, and what are the demographics of the audience that typically follow eSports?
1: Well, there's two bits to it. So first of all, you know I know a lot of reports go out there talking about the billion to a billion and a half in revenue that's that's being spent. But that's specifically the revenue generated from, from tournaments and uh, and everything that goes around the tournaments. That doesn't include, for example, what the major influencers and the streaming content creators are creating. And mm-hmm. I think all of that falls uh, should fall in the esports as well because many of these major athletes also tend to be uh, influencers and YouTube content creators themselves. Yeah. Now, typically, the, the billion that CNN is talking about, I'd say... Close to 60% would be sponsorship and advertising revenues, uh, specifically for, for the tournaments. And then you have media rights would be about roughly 20% and then the rest of it would be you know, fees that the game publishers themselves earn or merchandise and tickets. But the, uh, the, the challenge is that when people look at that number, they think, ah, okay, compared to gaming, gaming is a $150 billion industry. Uh, esports is, seems like it's only $1 billion. That's not actually true because... If you look at the valuation of the top 10 esports organizations in the world today uh, i think the 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 10th organization is valued at over 200 billion dollars and the number one one is valued at over 450 million so if you took that collective valuation of it all that's already exceeding three or four billion dollars so yes i mean they're right in terms of revenues it's about a billion billion and a half but uh, that's not very reflective of the overall industry itself
0: So when we start to think about the audience, um, you you know, one of the things that I'm intrigued by is the ways in which they're accessing eSports, so the channels with which they do it, and particularly platforms such as YouTube and Twitch. Um, So what what role do these platforms play in the delivery of entertainment to your eSports audiences?
1: Well, there's two bits to it. Uh, so first of all, if you look at the uh, overall uh, demographic when it comes to esports audience and you know the, the regular audience, right? Uh, the, an esport fan is pretty different from a, from from, from, a, from a gaming fan. So gamers like to watch people play video games. They're pretty passive, and um, it's a very male dominated uh, uh, male dominated audience. And an average gamer tends to be slightly younger than the average population, right? An esport fan, though is an even more uh, specific segment of that. So it's it's a very, the majority of the audience, uh, it's a very high segment of males. Uh, most of them are pretty highly educated, and in general, they tend to be much younger than the active population. So they are what I call the Gen Z and the young millennial generation. So for them, the, their main platforms that they uh, consume content on are Twitch and YouTube. Uh, they're not the types of kids who are going to be sitting out and actually watching television or going out there. The majority of their life is only on these two platforms.
0: Well, look, let's let's talk about this because this has been, you know, um, you know, quite quite subtle, but it's turned into this tectonic shift. You know, in 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 my generation, entertainment was delivered through TV, radio, cinema, DVD, those sorts of medium. This has now morphed more to streaming services such as Netflix. Um, But if we look at teenagers, um, the delivery of entertainment is very different in an online and permanently connected world. So can you talk to us about how teenagers, and and I'm using that word as a bit of a proxy for esports audience, so correct me if I'm wrong, but how teenagers are consuming entertainment today what channels are seeing the most growth and, and how is this really reshaping entertainment industries?
1: Okay, um, so there's two aspects to this. One, I'm going to talk about the overall media consumption and then I'll talk to you a little bit about esports. So there was a study done recently about media consumption in the US and, uh, you know, and the amount of money that brands were spending uh, uh, advertising these individual platforms versus the amount of time that was being spent. And what they found was from the overall platforms that are out there, and I'm talking about television, streaming platforms, gaming content on YouTube and Twitch, uh, music and everything that's out there, less than 8% of the audience were watching television and over 37% of the audience, which is the younger kids and the teenagers, were actually watching gaming content. They weren't even on the streaming platforms. So you could see that almost a third of the entire viewership in the US right now is heading more and more towards gaming and game-related content. uh, on, on these platforms. Uh, these kids pretty much only consume content on Twitch or YouTube. So I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a study that was done last year and uh, they, they started comparing uh, esports fans with Twitch esports fans, right? And they, want, they wanted to check out an, an average esport fan how much time does he actually spend watching real life television? So whether it's sports or TV shows or anything of that sort. So in 2019, they found that an average esport fan would watch. Television for about six six and a half hours on average. A Twitch esports fan would barely spend two hours a week watching a television, and that spike of two hours per week that happened in 2019 was just because of the Game of Thrones finale, right? So it was pretty incredible. So unless it's a special event like a, uh, 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 a live sports that's happening with uh, you know football or World Cup or things of that sort. Uh, it's very hard to attract teenagers to get back on, the, on television and consume the content there. Uh, even if they're watching streaming services, uh, they're likely not watching it on, you know, through uh, their regular television program, but it's via their console or via their PC or one of the other devices that they have.
0: And and this, um, you know, rejection of these, you know, what, what was historically the traditional methods of entertainment delivery and moving on to these other ways of consuming entertainment i mean this is also reshaping advertising spend it's shaping the investment in production it's shaping you know the the share of wallet from the audience as well so you know what's happening out there as a result of that what 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 industries are benefiting
1: so the first thing that's happening is uh... People have realized that if you look at the content that's happening on on, on YouTube uh, specifically, when when I call YouTube the the television of uh, the current generation, uh, kids want content on demand. So they want it there and then on the spot. And they usually want the content in bite size uh, elements. So they're not the type that are going to sit and watch for 30 or 40 minutes before they decide that the content is good. You have to be able to grab their attention in the first five to seven minutes. right? Uh, Some brands have realized that. There's actually a a video-on-demand competitor to Netflix called Quibi that uh, started out uh, a few months ago, which was launched by uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's the uh, ex-founder of DreamWorks Animation. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create content that will be delivered in small 10-minute-sized bites just to be able to uh, grab the attention of this younger audience and also to grab the attention of people who are consuming this content on the fly, right? So they're watching this content on their mobile devices and things like that. Uh, because of this shift to uh, at the format in which uh, kids are now consuming content, uh, some of the more traditional brands, of course, you've you've had the regular brands already and who are more tech savvy. They've been able to adapt to this pretty quickly, right? So you've obviously got the likes of all your uh, IT-related brands and anything around gaming and so on and so forth who are quickly able to adapt to it. But more and more, you're seeing non-endemic brands that realize, that, look, if we want to be able to talk to uh, the Gen Z, uh, and the millennial generation, then we need to be able to figure out to talk to them in their own language. And that's why you're seeing more and more investments happening and brand partnerships happening between what I'd call old school brands and uh, eSports and eSports related content.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, the, this, this, eSports has certainly taken, you know, a massive share of audience. Um, And it's useful to reflect on the size of the tournament market, this esports tournament market. So you're in Dubai, I'm in Australia. Australia's most prestigious horse race, the one that's uh, the race that stops the nation, pays out a staggering $8 million in prize money. But the Fortnite World Cup pays, what, $30 million in prize money? Can you talk a little bit about the prize money and the other revenues that are earned in this tournament market?
1: So the price pools have actually been growing year on year. Um, There are three major games, I think, that, or let's say four, including Fortnite, that kind of make up the major price pool payouts. What is called Dota 2. Uh, Dota stands for Defense of the Ancients. Um, The second one is CSGO, which is Counter-Strike GO. Then you've got League of Legends and you've got Fortnite. Between the four of them, they pay out the highest ever price pools. So for Dota 2, the largest ever tournament is something called the International. Uh, the International last year had a total uh, prize pool payout of $34 million. So it was actually bigger than the uh, Fortnite World Cup payout. And uh, it's pretty incredible because the, the company that hosts Dota 2 uh, and the International, sorry, they only seed the, uh, the prize pool with very little money. So it's between a million to $2 million is what they will typically seed in. The balance of the money is actually donated by the fans. Right, so the fans will donate this cash in exchange for uh, in-game accessories and things of that sort. So it's pretty incredible that the 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 the, the public is willing to contribute towards these uh, these prize pools that are being paid out. These things are just going to keep growing year on year. Um, uh, you know, I think this year they are expecting uh, the uh, f- sorry for the next edition of the international. The I think the the price pool has probably already hit 30 million and it's still it's still climbing. Uh, it's just going to keep growing year on year i'll give you an example as like you said you you know you've got a major tournament in australia that pays out 8 million over here in 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 the middle east the uh, dubai world cup for for horse racing used to be the highest ever payout which was about 10 billion dollars and then recently 3 months ago uh, saudi arabia launched the first ever, ever gamers without borders tournament and then they gave away 10 million dollars in prize money as well so you know it quickly caught up to the highest ever price pool that was ever paid out here mm. so these are pretty incredible in terms of uh, uh, you know the, the numbers that are going around and what that does is it inspires teams and organizations like us to invest more and more into 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 uh, talent to you know go and actually grab a piece of that
0: mm. well before we touch on that i want to go back to something you said about traditional brands you know this market is clearly a massive market and um, and I'm curious what are how are some of the traditional brands that is the non gaming and non technology brands getting involved in games and esports and and, and what's going to happen if they miss out on this
1: i think the best example for this would be to look at the uh... What's happening with the major luxury brands right uh back in the day uh, you'd never expect people like uh louis vuitton or gucci or rolls royce or people like them to be actually trying to target the uh gaming gaming audience so in this case the esports audience what they quickly realized though is uh you know i'm in my late 30s and uh my era and probably i could say what generation or let's say people 10 years younger than me are probably the last set of generation that were really attracted to these high luxury brands and uh you know and then if you looked at the traditional type of advertising these uh major luxury brands would do would be they'd go out they'd get a big famous face and the famous face would be uh, going out and doing a very artsy type of ad Mm -hmm. and over time what they realized is the current generation is not actually interested in stuff of that sort so uh louis vuitton was actually one of the first ones that came in last year And they came in by sponsoring a chunk of the League of Legends World Cup that was happening. And recently, what they've started to do is they've actually started to create uh, a panel based on skins that they were releasing within the game. So uh, that was one of them. The second one is uh, brands like uh, Gucci. Gucci recently has gone up and started signing up deals with major uh, esports organizations and they've, they've Embrace gaming to the extent that if you actually download the Gucci app today, besides all the fashion stuff that you see out there, there's actually a section called Gucci Arcade. And because they realize that they have to be able to talk to kids in the language that they understand. Because if not, then, you know, I mean, I have a son that's uh, 16 years old, and uh, uh, he'd probably be more interested in actually going out and buying Off-White or Bape or Balenciaga and stuff of that sort, because that's what the big uh, esports and YouTubers are all, are all wearing. Um, And so these guys have all decided, look, we need to be able to talk to this generation. So let's start creating collaborations with them.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I want to get into the the players now. So with regards to the teams, the Mm -hmm. business model sounds a lot like any other sports team, for example, soccer. So how many teams do you have and what's involved in acquiring talent? What do you look for? Where do you get it from?
1: so we currently have seven teams uh, competing around the world uh, three male uh, three female teams and four male teams so we're based out of uh, europe uh, the middle east uh, south asia and southeast asia uh, majority of our teams are um, on the potential of becoming you know knocking on the door of the tier one organizations and you know competing against them in major tournaments um, what we're trying to do is, uh, we've looked at a slightly different model compared to a lot of the other esports organizations out there. Uh, because, you know, I mean, there's, there's two types of esports organizations out there. You've got the big tier one organizations that have all the funding, they've got all the talent, and, you know, they're able to pay uh, obscene salaries to uh, their, their talent. And then you've got everybody else below them. Now, for most organizations to be able to compete with the larger ones, uh, there's two ways: either you're able to attract major talent to your organization, in which case you're paying a lot of money to them, or you're working on uh, with a local team and you kind of hope that uh, you know the talent improves over time. So we've tried to do a, a blend of both. Where we're pretty well funded, but beyond that, what we've got is I think one of the best scouting networks uh, in the world for talent. Um, and that's kind of reflected in our teams that are out there. Uh, our 45 players are from 22 different countries, right? mm-hmm. and we've been able to go and find the best of the best in, in, in each one of those. Uh, I'll give you an example. We we liter- uh, we recently uh, acquired a uh, team in India for PUBG Mobile, and uh, like any of the uh, international entities that came in, a lot of the international entities that came into India to form partnerships with the local PUBG teams mostly went to. The major cities. Uh, we actually went to a Tier B city, and we found the squad that was uh, just full of extremely raw talent and uh, had the potential to do really well. So we acquired them, and you know they're playing in the World League right now, and they're already ranked seventh among the top 20 teams in, in Southeast Asia. So th- that's an example of uh, how, how we go out and we look for talent. So we go out, we look for talent in. Uh, unusual offbeat places and we try to find uh, talent in areas where maybe major brands are not really looking at in countries and regions and major brands are not really looking at and then get them out to our facilities in dubai and in europe and then train them up and then get them out there
0: huh. well uh, good good luck with that i mean the price pool sounds staggering so Absolutely yeah tell us um a little bit um about your thoughts on the future of esports and the associated spectator entertainment what what do you think esports is going to look like in five or ten years time from now
1: it's just going to keep growing i think it's 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 the fastest form of uh, um, uh, sports viewership that's been growing year on year now a lot of people have had this reservation about is e- esports really a sport so let me put it to you this way right uh the next edition of the Asian Games is going to have uh, eSports uh, tournaments as, as a specific medal event uh, during the Asian Games. Uh, the next Olympics that's happening in Tokyo has actually got uh, a side event happening on the side of the Tokyo Olympics that's been officially sanctioned by the Olympics Committee itself. And I think the most interesting uh, the most interesting announcement that was done uh, a few months ago was the partnership between Tencent, which is one of the biggest investors in eSports related games around the world, and the Olympics Committee. right? So you're seeing more and more of this merge where eSports is going to be more and more regarded and accepted as, as a real sport. And along with that comes all the viewership and and the benefits that typical sports uh, events get. It's already pulling in, in terms of online viewership, what, what major sports tournaments are. And, uh, and for offline events, you know, when they have the major tournaments in, in, in Europe or, or uh, Vegas or in China, they're filling stadiums with over sixty to 80,000 people. Um, so it's already got, gotten there, and I think it's just going to get more and more accepted.
0: Hmm. So very, very briefly, what sort of things can we expect to see from your business over the coming quarters?
1: There's, there's four aspects to our business uh, one side of it is uh, we are on the tournament side so we own the rights to a festival called Girl gamer which is the largest uh, uh, eSports uh, tournament of its kind in the world for women and we own the rights to host it in Dubai for the next five years we hosted an edition this year in uh, in, uh, in February and we could, and the next year's edition will probably be towards the end of the year just because of the current uh, coronavirus situation but it'll be held year on year and we just keep growing that out. The second side of the business is uh the teams that we own and you know who are competing in all uh, in all uh, different tournaments around the world mm-hmm. the third side of it is the content creator and influencer side of it we've uh, we've actually signed up quite a few major influencers with major fan following and over the next few weeks we'll start announcing them one by one and uh, all of this put together basically makes us into a, a tournament uh, 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 professional player and content delivery uh, powerhouse, and which brings us to the fourth side of the business, and you know our relationship basically with MSM and with RTE. Uh, the the uh, I can't tell you much about the platform because we we're still in development, and you know we hope to launch it uh, early next year. But the idea is that we're going to take the aspects of what we've got in terms of esports, in terms of the content creators that we have, the tournaments that we are running, and the players that we have, and we'll be running a lot of that through the new platform that is being built. So with the four of us together, we'll pretty much have the entire ecosystem covered up in terms of eSports. What do you expect from us? Over the next few months, you'll see a lot more signings in terms of teams. You're gonna see a lot of content creators being being announced and uh, a lot of exciting tournaments that we'll be organizing as well with the Girl Gamer and by ourselves.
0: Paul Roy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for taking the time to shine the light on this massive and growing esports market. And I wish you every success in your endeavours. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks for having me on. Thank you to my guest, Paul Roy, for joining us for this edition of Stock Dog.